Thanks for checking out the Oasis Church podcast from Camden, Arkansas. Each week we share the message from our Sunday worship service. Join us anytime. More information at camdenoasischurch.com. Last week we kicked off this series called Fruits of the Spirit. And man, if you weren't here, I need to give you just a real quick recap because you missed kind of the foundation of the rest of this series. It was kind of the nuts and the bolts. We got to one of the fruits, but man, we spent more time talking about what this really is. The the gist of it is this. When you placed your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, uh, the Holy Spirit took up residence in your life. That bad boy, he just moved in and he started unpacking all these different things. And there's a lot of things he wants to accomplish in your life. There's a lot of things he he's doing in your life. But one of the things that happened was these nine traits, characteristics uh, were all placed inside of you. Hey, listen to me today. Everybody here, every man and woman here today, you have these nine traits. You have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of those were placed inside you in seed form. Believer, hear me, you have all nine of these. It's not a pick and choose. I want this one and this one, but self-control, no, I don't need that. And I definitely don't need patience. All nine of these were placed in you. And the big takeaway was this, you can't grow these fruit on your own. It's the gist of it. You can't try harder. You can't come and try and muster it up. I believe that what's the biggest problem inside the churches today is with these nine things, we've tried to just kind of fake it until we make it. We want to kind of act like we have it all together. But what happens is, is when life squeezes you, what's on the inside really comes up on the outside. So what happens is like, oh, no, Billy, I have the trait of love. But when you're squeezed a little bit, love doesn't come out. Oh, Billy, I'm calm and collective. But when life happens, that's not what comes out of you. Our big thing, and I want you to know it's throughout this entire series, the bottom line here is this fruit inside your life. It grows and matures as you get closer to Christ and as you stay connected to Christ. Billy, how do I grow this fruit? Here it is. You, you, you grow in Christ. You stay connected to him. You stay close to him. And what he does is that relationship, that connection, all of a sudden it begins to grow these fruit in your life. And eventually you produce the things that God has placed in you. We looked at this topic, this subject of love last week. And, and, I, and I want you to know that all of the other fruits all come back to this word love. A matter of fact, I would say that if you don't have love, none of the other ones are even going to come up. They're not even going to take place because love, I love what the Bible tells us in Colossians 3. 14 above all of these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony it's love and and it begins with your relationship with christ begins with a growing and maturing you you can't give love until you've received love You, you can't experience love until you've been loved to be able to give love and it starts with our relationship with jesus christ if you have your bibles i want you to go and turn with me to the book of galatians galatians chapter 5 Man, can I just tell you, this week, I think every Sunday when we come and preach, it's going to be the same topic, the same subject, but this was one of the worst weeks. I had no idea what to preach at all. Did you know that the word joy and rejoice and joyful, they appear some 600 times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament? 600 times, people. You know what happens when you start to Google all these different verses about joy and rejoice and joyful? You get pretty frustrated pretty quickly. Can I tell you why? Because my ADD brain, I would read one and I'm like, hoo, 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 there it is. That's what I'm going to preach on. 
I, I, I turn to, to um, Romans chapter 12, verse 12. Listen to what the Bible says. Rejoice in hope. Amen? Like, how good is that? I'm like, oh, this is the one. Rejoice in hope. But it gets better than that. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. I'm like, that's it. So I wrote it down, and all of a sudden I flipped to another verse. Man, I turned over to Psalms 126, verse 5. Listen to this. Those who sow in tears shall reap with shouts of joy. And I'm like, oh, that's the bad boy I need to be preaching on right now. So I'd write it down, like I'd start looking, and all of a sudden, would you believe this? I came across another verse. All of a sudden, I turned to Proverbs 17, 22. A joyful heart is good medicine. That's what I think we really need a lot of today. A joyful heart is good medicine, but a crushed spirit dries up the bones. And then and I would read one after another. I would turn to Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. Philippians 4, 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'm going to say it, rejoice. I, I turn over to Psalms 118. Listen to this one. This is the day the Lord has made and let us rejoice. Well, we ain't doing a lot of rejoicing here this morning at all. That's terrible. Can we try this one more time? I'll feel better. I promise you, I'll preach better if you laugh with me. Let, let's do this one time. This is the day the Lord has made, and let us re... Woo, that's terrible just the same, and be glad in it. I, I, I turn over to Psalms 119, verse 111. Your testimonies are my heritage forever, for they are the joy of my heart. And at this point, I'm like, I have no idea what to preach on. Like, which one do you pick? And then all of a sudden, I turned to one more verse, and the Lord said, hey, there it is. That's your verse. Hey, so work with me here just for a moment. Just say, um, Monday morning, you, um, you quit your old job, and, man, you've been putting out resumes, and you've been searching and asking, and all of a sudden, tomorrow morning, you're fixing to go into a job interview. You show up, you come in that morning, and then all of a sudden, you're sitting in with a boss, and he's got your resume, he's looking over the job description, and he's asking you all these things, of, hey, what'd you do at your old job, how long were you there? And then all of a sudden, he takes another 20 minutes, and he starts talking a lot about, hey, this is kind of what we were going to be doing here, it's kind of the job description, this is what it's going to look like, and, and this is going to be your pay, this is going to be your benefits, this is going to be, um, this is the insurance, this is all we have. You spend 40 minutes in this meeting, man, you're getting getting pretty excited, like, this is going real good. And he begins to get all the papers together. He starts closing up everything, and he says, hey, can, can, can I ask you one, just one more question? You're like, yeah, sure, I anything. I'll ask anything. Um, and he says, what is your greatest strength? Now, listen, you could say 100 different things. You could say, I, I type 80 words per minute. That would be good. You could lead with that. You could say, hey, I'm pretty punctual. That's always good. That's what bosses want to hear. I'm very organized. I mean, I have a lot of leadership mindsets. You could say, hey, listen, I'm a really good kiss-up. That's never a bad thing to say. They want to know that. Like, hey, you make me feel better about myself. It's going to work out good. You can say a hundred different things, but instead you look at him, what is your greatest strength, and you say this fantastic word, well, the joy of the Lord is my strength. Now listen, if you say that, you're not getting the job. Like I just, I want you to know that, that they're not concerned about the joy of the Lord being your strength. But listen to what the Bible says in Romans chapter 8 verse 10. And, be not, and do not be grieved for the joy of the Lord is your strength. And then all of a sudden, this verse hit me like a ton of bricks. Because then I asked myself, is the joy of the Lord 
Is it really my strength? Can I propose to you that same question here this morning? Is the joy of the Lord, is it your strength? Hey, listen, I'm I'm fixing to preach a message that I'm probably the biggest hypocrite in here. Hey, can I share with you the joy of the Lord? It is not my strength at all. I think for many of us, we could come and we could say this. Listen, I, I, I've been wrong once or twice before. Like, I want you to know that. But, and I might be wrong here, but I believe that there are many believers. I think some of you are even sitting in this room that when it comes to this topic, this subject of the joy of the Lord, listen to me. There are a lot of other things that will qualify as your strength. For, for some of you, it's money. Some of you, it's position, it's power, possessions, skills. Hey, talents, respect, popularity. Hey, listen, I want you to hear me. All of those things, they're not bad things. But when it comes to the joy, but when it comes to the joy of the Lord, again, let me ask you, is it one of your strengths? If you had to summarize your life today, or better yet, let your family do it, would your family say that this is one of your strengths, the joy of the Lord? What about your coworkers? Would they say about you that, oh, the joy of the Lord definitely is your strength? What about your kids? What about your neighbors? What about complete strangers? Would they say that, hey, the joy of the Lord is your strength? Would they use joy to describe you and your life? Can I propose another question for you today? Maybe you had joy at one time. When was the last time you felt joy. I, I mean, joy, not, not just happiness or anything like that. I, I think one of the, the, the biggest just misunderstandings and misconceptions we have is oftentimes we mistake happiness for joy. But again, I want you to know the Bible mentions joy and rejoicing and joyful over 600 times, but it only mentions happiness 26 times in the Bible. Happiness depends a lot upon your happenings, the things that are going on around you. So if everything's going really, really good right now, then, hey, I'm happy. But that's not what I'm asking. I'm asking this. When was the last time you felt joy, a deep sense of satisfaction that only comes from Christ? When was the last time you felt joy? I believe joy can best be described this way. Joy is the evidence of the presence of God in your life. Would you say that's a a pretty good definition? Joy is evidence that God is in your life. When it comes to these nine, have you noticed how different joy is from all the other different fruits? Most of the other traits, they all deal with actions, do they not? It's, It's love one another. It's make peace with one another. It's show kindness to one another. From a worldly perspective, though, joy just sounds a lot like an emotion that comes to us on our own. But family, I want you to know from a biblical perspective here this morning, joy is not just a feeling that we can't control, but instead being joyful is a choice. Being joyful is a choice. If God is in your life, again, the foundations we talked about last week are so important here. If God is in your life and the Holy Spirit has took up residency in your life, then you have this thing called joy in you. And that joy should be obvious. And I say should be because this is the part I have struggled with all week long. 
it should be, but there are times in my life that I, I just don't see it. I don't see this thing called joy. I know joy comes from the inside and only Christ can grow it, but in my life, there are times I just don't see it. Can I ask you, am I the only one? Am I the only one? Because if I am, then we need to be switching seats here. Then I think the question quickly becomes, if there's, if there's joy, how did I lose my joy? I think the question is, can, can you lose your joy? I, I want you to know that joy can't be lost. Listen, you can lose your car keys, you can lose your purse, and we can lose our cell phones. We do that often. You can lose those things. But I want you to know joy is not something that you lose. You can't come to church on Sunday and then turn back around on Monday, and all of a sudden your joy be gone. Listen to me. I want you to hear me. That's not the way this works. Joy is not lost, but I do want you to know that your joy can be hindered. You listening to me? You need to write this down because this is important. Your joy can be hindered. And, and when this happens, when your joy is hindered, when you, all of a sudden you're experiencing, that, like, man, I don't have any joy in my life, you have to find out why. Because if you never find out what, why it's being hindered, listen, you're going to be the same person you are three weeks, three months, three years down the road. This same thing is going to keep happening and happening and happening. So again, here's what we know. Let's start at the ground level. We know that, that, that this characteristic of joy is within you, because if you're a believer here today, because the Holy Spirit resides in you. And we know that it's only the Holy Spirit that can grow this joy that's inside of you. Then the million-dollar question becomes for us today, why isn't it growing? Why isn't his joy growing in me? That's the question we're going to wrestle with today. I think there are a lot of different answers that I could give you. Um, but I, I want to give you what I think are probably the four, maybe the five biggest things that hinder your joy. Once you know the first one is this, if you're taking notes, write down the word disobedience. Your disobedience is one of the quickest things that can hindle, hinder uh, the, the joy that God has for you and your life. True biblical joy. Disobedience is one of the most common hindrances against this. I, I know you're aware of this, but the enemy's strategy in your life is to steal, kill, and destroy every area of your life. And, and one of his first ways that I believe he does that is he loves to come and kind of lure you into this ideal that believing disobedience Hey, it's not that big of a thing. Everybody's doing it. It's okay if you're a little disobedient here and there. That's one of the first things he tries to do. I want you to know that another word for disobedience is this word rebellion. Listen to what the Bible says in Titus chapter 3, verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, foolish, for we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to our various passions and pleasures, Passing our days and the malice and the envy, hated by others, hating one another. Hey, listen, that's an old life, all right? That's how we were all started out. That's our old life. But listen to what the Bible says. But when the goodness, whoo, but when the goodness of a loving kindness of our God, our Savior appeared, he saved us. Verse 5 is a transition that happens in your life. Man, I hope you can look back and say, hey, there was a time and a moment where I gave my heart and life to Jesus Christ. It was the time I placed my faith and trust in him. When this happens, this is that moment right here. And then all of a sudden, something else is supposed to start happening in your life. Not, not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing and regeneration of the renewal of the Holy Spirit. When you place your faith and trust in him, listen, you're supposed to be living different. You're supposed to be acting different. You're supposed to be obedient, not disobedient. But I need you to hear me this morning. Even though you're saved, even though you have a relationship with him, I need you to hear this. You 
are going to make mistakes. You hear me? Every one of us, somewhere along in life, even after you've been saved, you're going to fall short. You're going to make bad choices. You're going to make bad decisions. We're all going to do here, but I need you to hear my heart this morning on what I'm about to tell you. There is a huge difference between willfully sinning and unintentional disobedience. Let me say that again. There is a huge difference between willfully sinning, ongoing sin, knowing you're making this choice over and over, and then the other one is unintentional disobedience. Those are two completely different things. In the Old Testament, we we see that there was always a sacrifice for unintentional sin, mistakes, always. But listen to this. While the punishment for disobedience, blatant disobedience, was death. Death. Now, luckily, for everybody sitting in this room today, there's no death penalty for when you are willingly and openly engaging in sin over and over and over. But here's what I do believe. I do believe that when God's people choose to willfully sin and engage in sin, when you're living that type of life, you will not find the joy of the Lord in your life. That joy will always, always be hindered. Disobedience will hinder your joy. I I think another one is is this. It's unforgiveness. It's unforgiveness. I I spent a lot of time thinking about this word unforgiveness this week, and I didn't realize that I I really think that there are two different categories that kind of fall into this word unforgiveness you see, there are times in my life that I've, I've looked at people and individuals and coworkers and friends and family members, and, and I have come and I have placed a set of expectations on their life. I, I've thought, put the bar up here that, hey, this is where they're going to be. This is how they're going to act. And in my mind, I'm doing all this without ever talking to them. I place all these expectations on them, and here's what happens when they fail, when they never live to measure up. All of a sudden, my expectations, I, I get let down pretty quickly. And then over time, I allow that disappointment to turn into bitterness. And it's not their fault. It's my fault. I set the bar. I had my expectations. They didn't live up to it. That has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with me. And all of a sudden, I'm harboring this unforgiveness in my heart because I'm mad at them, and they didn't even do nothing wrong. I think the other side of this is the one you're most familiar with. I think there are other times you've, you've been hurt before. You've been disappointed before. You've been in a conflict, and... It could have been years ago. It could have been just this month, just this week. But here's the thing, and I want you to tell me if I'm wrong here. Those things, they never just sit there, sit there, do they? They never just sit there. Man, all of a sudden, those unresolved issues, they become infected. And when you fail to address that infection, it only festers and grows, and eventually it eats you from the inside out, does it not? Listen, Jesus spoke so much about this. This is what he said in Matthew 6, 15. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, if you don't forgive them, neither will I forgive you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 takes it a step further. Listen to this. Strive for peace with everyone. And for the holiness without which no one else, no one will see the Lord. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God, that no root of bitterness, that no root of bitterness springs up in your life and causes trouble, and by it many become defiled. Hey, you need to see this picture here. 
Do you see what happens with this bitterness that you're harboring? All of a sudden, it causes trouble in your life. Am I wrong? Doesn't it? And all of a sudden, now it's causing all this trouble in your life. But not only that, it causes defilement in your life. Unforgiveness literally hinders the joy of the Lord in your life. That's why Paul challenges us in Ephesians 4.26, do not let the sun go down on your anger and give, give no opportunity to the devil. In other words, hey, forgive while you can. But as long as you and I, when we are harboring this unforgiveness, the spirit unforgiveness in your life, you will not find the joy of the Lord in your life. A joy is going to be hindered. I, I think for others of us in here today, there's this thing, that the thing that's hindering your joy is unresolved guilt. Unresolved guilt. Man, I don't know what it is about men and women and kind of where we're at today, but you can just see it on so many people. We just can't seem to forgive ourselves, can we? Man, we can't. We can't forgive ourselves of the mistakes we made, whether it was recently or years ago. But, but I've also noticed that not only can we not forgive ourselves, we can't accept the forgiveness that God offers and somebody here today, you might have went through a divorce, and all of a sudden now you feel that God loves you less than. Maybe you had an abortion years ago, and when you were younger, you made a mistake, but it still eats at you today. You might have some dark secret of sin, dark secret or dark sin that nobody else knows about, but you're scared to death that if it ever comes out, that the people here are going to love you less, or God is going to love you less. And all of a sudden, all this stuff is just literally eating you alive. Hey, if that's you today, I want you to know that you're feeling the exact same thing that David felt in the Old Testament. He, he committed adultery. He had a big murder cover-up. And now all those sins, all that hiding, all those cover-ups cover are literally eating him from the inside out. He's feeling all the weight of his guilt and everything he'd done. And now he finally comes to this place in his life, and he says these words. And if that's you, I want you to just listen to what the Bible says in Psalms 51 and verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. God, it's been so long since I've heard these things. David's saying, I want to hear them again. Let the bones that you have broken rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and uphold me with a willing spirit. And do you hear that? Listen, this isn't the invitation, but you need to hang on to that verse. I think there's some of us that can pray them exact words. God, restore to me the joy of my salvation. It's my guilt. It's my mistakes. It was my sin that is hindering this joy. And God, I need it back. Father, restore to me the joy of my salvation. A handful of chapters prior to this in Psalm 16, 11, we see that David, he had joy. And after all this stuff has happened in his life, we see that David is praying that God would restore to him the divine joy which he had before. I love it so much. David has enough self-awareness that he knows that it was his sin that caused all these issues. And it was only going to be God who is going to be able to restore it. But it all begins with repentance and forgiveness. Hey, I want you to hear me when you're hanging on to unresolved guilt. This week, this month, 20 years ago, you will not find the joy of the Lord in your life. Had joy 
is going to be hindered. Can I share with you what, what, what my biggest thing in my life right now that is hindering me from experiencing the joy of the Lord? Listen, I it just recently got a name for it this past year or two, but it's this thing called destination addiction. Have you ever heard about it before? I, I never knew it had a name, but it was something that me and my wife, we have struggled with our entire marriage. It, it's this ideal that somewhere in the future, and everything's going to make me happy. It's when I get to this place, it's when I get this income, when I get this truck, when I get this position, when I get this marriage, when, when I get all of this in the future, and then I'm going to have joy. But right now, I don't have it. So here's what we do. We spend all of our time thinking about what's next without ever experience how good right now is. Hey, listen to me. I've wasted a lot of my life thinking about what's next. What's right around the corner. And I have missed out on so many good memories and opportunities where I could have just seized the day and experienced the joy of the Lord. Hey, will you hear me? When, 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 I'm, when I'm dealing with that, when I'm living that type of life, I will not find the joy of the Lord in my life. That joy is going to be hindered. And here's the thing. We could spend the next three weeks and I could talk to you about everything in the world that you've got going on. We, we could talk about your bad circumstances that you've been with, that you've happened to you. We could talk about other people, how other people often hinder your joy. We, we could talk about this thing called comparison, constantly comparing yourself with other people. Hey, it'll steal your joy in a heartbeat. That worrying constantly does it. Dwelling on the past, hey, listen to you. Listen to me. You name it, it's there. So here's the thing. I don't know what yours is, but I want to give you just some advice. Would you just write it down? This is the one thing that has hindered my joy in my life right now because I'm so focused on it that I can't see the Lord. Big question for us today then, all right, Billy, I know what mine is. So, so, so how do we fix this? What's our big fix here? What, what do we do? My papa, man, he taught me something a long time ago that I've held on to for all these years that I want to share with you today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to John chapter 15, verse 11. John chapter 15, verse 11. We did a series a couple months ago about this, but man, it's just been so heavy on my heart here lately. John 15, 11, the Bible says this, these things I've spoken to you that my joy, that, that Jesus, my joy may be in you and because it's in you that your joy may be, the Bible says, full, full. Let me ask you this. Anybody do any gardening this year? Anybody plant a garden? Get the tractor up. Man, oh, good. Some of you, you drop off the stuff at our house and we'll help you, we'll help you eat it. Man, my papa, every spring, he had one of them old, old rusty tillers. Listen, every year he brought it out, I'm just like, it's amazing this thing is still alive. It's got 14 different bolts and parts from other things. And when you, I mean, it is clanky. You'd fire it up here. He could do it in Texture Candy. We would hear it in Camden. That's just how bad it is. Like, it's one of the worst tillers, but it was one of his favorite ones. Man, we'd get out every spring. I was a young boy, and he would start, and he would go out there, find the place. He'd mark it off, and boy, we'd just start disking up. I'd walk behind him, picking up grass. That's all I ever, I was the grass boy picking up grass. But one of the things he taught me that has, has just been ringing in my ears all week long, and I want to share this with you. Before I say that, let me just say this. Gardens are relatively simple, are they not? I, I mean, it's, it's kind of common sense. If you put a tomato plant in, you're going to get tomato plants out. If you plant corn, you're going to get corn. If you plant okra, you're going to get okra. It, listen to me. What you plant is what you get. Now, we know that, and here's what I want to say to you, what's true for the soul. Hey, listen to me. I'm fixing to be a good preacher. You listening? What's good for the soul is definitely good for the soul. 
Come on, people. That's all I got. If you can't laugh at that, we, we just wrap it up and go home. What's good for the soul and what's true for the soul, soil, soil, let me enunciate better. For the soil, it's good for the soul. It's so good, I'm not doing it ever again. You ruined it. Here's what I want you to know. What God has planted in you, he wants to get out of you. What God has planted in you, he wants to get out of you. Now listen, I need to do this just so you're with me. Um, I am going somewhere, and in my mind, it is going to be the most amazing journey you've ever been on. So if you're not ready, I need you to get ready, because if I get to the end of this and I don't get my reaction, I'm not coming back next week. All right? Listen, it, we're, hey, where we're going, life-changing, people. You, to, to, you'll, just, you'll talk about it all week long. You're like, Billy, let me have you over. We need to talk about this because this was amazing. So here we go, people. Here's our journey. What God wants to grow out of you, what he's planted in you, God wants to get out of you. But there's one thing he said that's been on my mind all week long. He, he'd always come and he'd tell me this. He said, Billy, do you know what the difference between a good garden, a garden that produces good fruit, and a garden that doesn't? You know what the difference is? I'm like, no, Papa, tell me. He says this thing called weed and feed. Weed and feed. Now, you can't go to Tractor Supply. You can't go to Atwoods to get what he's talking about. It's called weed and feed. So what happens is, as we read all through Galatians 5, we realize that this whole passage that we're talking about is a struggle between the flesh and the spirit. Listen, you're a believer, and both of these two beasts are very alive and well in you, and they are constantly fighting and warring in you. Everybody here, if you place your faith and trust, there's a constant battle that has taken place. And, and these two, both of these are always fighting and war, and they're fighting, uh, I, I really think, over just one thing in your life. It's this thing called producing fruit in your life. Who is going to win the fight? Who is going to win the battle per, to produce the fruit? Is the flesh going to win in your life and produce fleshly fruit? Or, church family, are you going to allow the Spirit of God to win and produce spiritual fruit? Now, if I had to poll you here today, most of us are probably going to lean on the far end of it. We, we want God, the Spirit, to produce the good godly fruit in our lives. So, so, so let me ask you, in your life, if you would pick a winner, are you with me on you would pick, I want the Spirit, I want God's fruit to be produced in my life. These nine things, I want these things to come out of you. Again, most of us here would. But please don't miss what I'm about to tell you. The growth of God's fruit in your life, the things that God wants to grow in you and produce out of you, the biggest struggle to those things, the biggest hindrance for that fruit being produced, coming to fruition, it's all caused by, it's all limited by you and yourself and your sinful desires and your choices. Hear what I'm telling you. Your faith in Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross of Calvary, raising again on Easter Sunday, hey, he paid the penalty for your sins, past, present, and future. All your sins are paid. They're all taken care of. Not only that, when he did that, he gave us this power to come along and for us to not be mastered and ruled by the different sins in our life. But the reality is, all of us here today, to some degree, we are still struggling with our old ways and our old flesh. And that's why this weeding and feeding, what my papal said, is so important. And I hope that you're getting this. I want to help you here. Let me just ask you this. What grows faster in a garden? Weeds or tomato plant? Weeds. Hey, that's good. Let me ask you another question. 
What grows faster in a garden, corn or weeds? That's good. What about peas or weeds? Whoo, grapes or weeds? Somebody's like, I don't know. I've never grown it. What, what, what about broccoli or weeds? Cu- cucumber or weeds? Man, y'all, come on. I'm losing you. I don't like this. Come on now. Strawberries or weeds? There we go. Carrots or weeds? Lettuce or weeds? So listen to me. If you have a garden with these nine things that are all in here, whoo, can I tell you something? What's growing the most with these nine things inside this garden? Whoo, man, come on now. You got to listen to me. So what happens in the natural? What happens in your garden is the same thing that happens in the spiritual. In your life, weeds always went out. So so why is weeding so important? Well, when you begin to pull out all the weeds and all the things that don't belong in the garden, then it allows for the good stuff to get the sun and the water and the nutrients it needs so they can grow and produce the fruit and the vegetables. And nobody said amen. I don't think you're picking up what I'm putting down here. I don't think you're hearing me. So, so let me just kind of, let me just say this. Some of you are like, Billy, we don't even know what you're talking about. We're confused here. That might be. So I just need you to listen to what I'm saying. You can't make a tomato plant grow. You can't make carrots grow. You can't make corn grow. You can't make love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, self-control. There's another one in there. Listen, 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 Linda. You can't make anything in the physical garden grow. You hear me? You can't make anything in the physical garden grow, and you definitely can't make anything in the spiritual garden grow. But here's what you can do. You can come and you can create a weed-free environment, a weed-free garden where the soil and the sun and the water and all the nutrients that you need, they all go to the good things, to the godly things that are going to make all these fruits and vegetables grow. Listen to me. In your life, in your spiritual garden, you can't produce any fruit, but you can make sure all these different weeds are plucked out of your life so you can get the good things, the godly things are going to grow out. You just said weeds grow faster. You're exactly right. So wouldn't that be sense enough to us to say, hey, I need to make sure these things stay out of my life so the good things, those nine things, produce and grow in my life? So why these verses just prior to the fruit of Spirit are so important. Listen to what the Bible says in verse 19. Now the works of the flesh are evident. You can see it. It's in everybody's life. It, it's just like out here for everybody to know. They're evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, enviness, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I love it so much. He doesn't even, he just closes it out. And there's a whole bunch more things going to fit in this category. Just because you're not doing something that doesn't fall in this list doesn't mean it doesn't go here. In other words, if these, if these weeds are in your garden, man, and you're not pulling them, it's going to be extremely difficult. I take that back. It's going to be impossible for you to experience true biblical fruit. Allow them grow faster. Hey, those nine things, you ain't getting them. And you are hindering. You can't grow the fruit, but you can help it. Man, that's why this is so important. That's why there's weed in feet. And your job and your spiritual garden in your life is to make sure those weeds, they don't just stay there. And that one thing, man, listen to me. 
is going to be the difference between a garden, a life that produces spiritual fruit, and one that doesn't. That's the weeding part. But there was another thing that he taught me a lot, and it's called the feeding part. If you're taking notes, I want you to know that true biblical joy, the joy of the Lord, happens when we abide. True biblical joy happens when we abide, when you and I, when we come closer to Jesus. Again, let me just say this, John 15, 5, read on the screen with me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Now skip down to verse 8. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. And as the Father has loved me, so have I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Hey, listen to me today. This is where it all begins. When you are attached to the vine, it means that you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior. Jesus is saying in this moment that when you become a Christian, you're the branch that is attached to the vine. Jesus is the vine, and we are the branch. And listen, and as long as you are attached to him, as long as you are close to him, the Bible says that you will bear fruit. But maybe you're here today, and you're a lot like me. I place my faith and trust in Christ. Gave my life to him. I'm saved. But man, this fruit is just, there's not a lot of joy in my life. And can I encourage you to think about those things that are hindering that? Deal with those issues. Deal with those things that are going on. Then listen to me. Then come closer to the Savior. Here's my biggest concern for our church. Not any other church in the world. Oasis Camden. My biggest concern for every man and woman sitting in these chairs today is this. Even though you're here Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, I believe there are a lot of men in this room. I believe there are some ladies in this room that are detached branches. He's the source, but you're not connected to him anymore. And I think the worst part is for many of us, I don't even think we realize it. You see, you come and you look alive. A lot like these flowers. You look alive, you look pretty, you sound pretty. Hey, you show up, you light up the room. But there's a thing about these flowers. They ain't going to live much longer because they're cut off. And I can come and I can kind of pretend that they're attached. And as long as you're pretending, can I just say this? You ain't growing if you're pretending. There are a lot of you, you feel just like this. I, I'm, I'm wiltering away. And I can't connect those back to the source. But can I tell you something, believer? If you've placed your faith and trust in him, you might be removed from him. But his presence is all right, always right there. And he's saying, hey, you can come back. And you can come back and you can be an attached to the source that gives life to your life. And I think many of us, I think that's really the call that's upon our life right now. I've told you this before. I think every invitation talks to two people, the believers and the non-believers. 
If you're a believer here today and you're like, Billy, there's not a lot of joy in my life. If you're going through all those different things and you're like, man, that one's hindering my joy, that one's hindering my joy, then can I challenge you? If you do nothing, nothing's going to change. You can do this two years, 40 years down the road, and you're going to be the same joyless individual. But that's not what God wants. God says, I want you to be open about your problems and your struggles. I want you to deal with these. And I want you to get connected back to the vine. And so you can grow and produce this fruit that's in you. I think many of you, you just need to have a time of dedication. God, I've been so far from you doing my own thing, but God, I want to come back. Hey, I would challenge you to be bold enough when we step into our invitation to make that commitment. But listen, it's not just a Sunday morning commitment. It's a Monday, Tuesday, and a Wednesday. And it's every day after this. I think there are other people here today, I don't think you've ever placed your faith and trust in Christ. And all this stuff that we've talked about, you've got a lot of these issues and a lot of these problems that are going on. But I want you to know as much as you want to, as much as you want to try, you can never have the joy of the Lord without belonging to the Lord. I mean, I just want to challenge you. If you're here today and you're like, Billy, man, I'm looking at my life and there's never been a moment I've given my life to him. There's never been a moment I surrendered my life. Can I challenge you today and come experience the goodness and the grace and the mercy that's your Lord and Savior. It's a free gift. It's in front of you. He's saying, hey, hey all you got to do is take it. He's done the work. Let me ask you, is the joy of the Lord your strength? And if it's not, then I think God is calling a lot of us to make some different decisions.